Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. Hi, my name is Hayley Locke and I'm a partner in the Specialist Tax and Reward Practice with KPMG. I've got my colleague here with me today, Darren Stafford. Darren, say hi. Hi, Hayley. Thanks for joining us today. And today we're going to touch on some of the measures in the 2021 federal budget that related to personal tax and incomes. So what I think will be of the biggest interest um, for our clients, particularly those with globally mobile employees, is the announcement around the tax residency rule changes. So some of you who are dialed in might be aware that our residency rule changes have been pretty much in place since 1936 in some form or another, and they are very much overdue for a modernisation. And so it was pleasing to see in the budget that this is going to be considered quite seriously by the government and that they will look at using new tests going forwards. So we think that the new tests are going to be primarily based on some work that the Board of Taxation did in a report that was released in 2019. And that report indicates a preference of using a primary test to say that an individual would be tax resident of Australia when they're physically present for at least 183 days during the tax year. Now, there will be some additional secondary tests that can apply where that primary test doesn't. And then while there's a lot, a lot of detail provided on these within the budget, there is that framework based both on the Board of Taxes work, and that's going to include a combination of physical presence and other measurable objective criteria. So we think that this introduction of a bright line test will help provide some certainty for both taxpayers and employers, as a lot of the employment tax implications that arise actually do depend on an employee's tax residency position. And whereas historically, like, we, like we've mentioned, that has been based on some pretty subjective criteria, really, um, that had to then be objectively evidenced, going forward, it's hoping that there will be this clarity provided by a more objective test. Now, in terms of timing, these rules aren't going to come into effect until the first income year after the date that the legislation is, is enacted. So, unless these rules are pushed through Parliament pretty quickly in the next month, it's likely that they won't apply until at earliest the 1st of July 2022. So that's kind of a bit of a, a quick summary of some of the, the rules around personal income tax residency. And I'm going to pass to Jaron now. So Jaron, what were some of the other hot topics that you saw that, that you think are going to impact our clients and particularly employers? Thanks, Hayley. I think given the time of year we're at at the moment with a lot of um, the annual reporting requirements rolling around shortly, um, employee Share Schemes, or ESS for short, was uh, one of the hot topics for a lot of my clients. So the, the big announcement in the budget in this space this year was the removal of what's called cessation of employment as a taxing point. So what that means, if you think under the current rules, if an individual had what's known as a tax deferred ESS interest, so let's say, for example, they had an option that was granted to them and that was due to vest in two years time, what would happen is at the time that they terminate their employment, if their employer was allowing them to keep that option, then they'd be subject to the tax um, on the value of that option at that date of termination, even though it hadn't yet vested or they hadn't yet exercised it. So I'm sure you can imagine that caused quite a lot of challenges for a number of employees. 
because they're having to pay tax on something that they didn't actually own yet. So they couldn't liquidate any any uh, equity to help fund that tax. So I think this change is going to be welcomed by quite a lot of people. So Jaron, that it sounds a little bit weird. Can I ask a quick question on that? One thing that people um, might not sort of have an appreciation for is why would you get to keep a share or an option once you've left your employment? Yeah, good question, Haley. So I think what employers tend to do is they categorise and distinguish between good and bad levers when an individual terminates. So a bad lever, for example, might be someone who has resigned. In that scenario, typically a lot of individuals wouldn't be entitled to keep their rewards post-termination. But if you think of the good lever category, um, a good example of that is someone who might have been made redundant. So through no fault of their own, um, they're being forced to terminate employment from the company. So under that scenario, it's quite common that um, employers might exercise their discretion to allow those individuals to keep those awards, and then they still follow their normal vesting schedule um, after that. So that sounds a little bit unfair then that the employer is essentially trying to do the right thing by the employee by allowing them to keep those options on foot. And yet what they're having to do, like you said, was potentially then pay tax at a point in time before they can actually liquidate the asset to be able to fund part of the tax. So I I can see a lot of people being quite happy with this change. Yeah, definitely. Now, I I think just on that, it is also quite a unique rule um, to Australia. So I'm not aware of any other country around the world that has this um, practice of taxing at termination. So I think we've been lobbying for a good uh, 10 years or so now to try and uh, help get that changed. So it'll be um, nice to bring us back in line with the rest of the world there. One important thing to note though, is that um, the changes will only apply to new awards granted uh, the year after the legislation gets enacted. Um, So it's not going to be something that's going to come into play right away for people that currently have awards granted to them. Um, So we do have to wait for that legislation to get pushed through. At this stage, we haven't seen any draft legislation, um, but given it is probably a, a relatively small change to put through, wouldn't be surprised if this one makes it through before 30th of June, which means it could come into effect from 1 July this year and would then apply to all future grants. I think that would be welcome news, right, for a lot of employers. Yeah, definitely. Just on the um, ESS front, there was one other um, sort of smaller announcement that was um, not so much in the tax base, but more in terms of removing some of the regulatory requirements for unlisted companies. So the government's intended to try and remove a little bit of red tape there um, in the hopes that that'll make it a little bit easier for some employers, uh, particularly startups, um, to try and help attract and retain some of their talent through equity incentive schemes. Um, So a couple of good news stories on the ESS front this year. Now, Hayley, I think one of the things I always think about, I know personally, a lot of our clients is, uh, what about personal income tax changes? What, What was in the budget this year on that space? Yeah, so maybe we should have started with this because perhaps that's what everyone's been hanging on to listen to. Um, I guess, look, there's um, not sort of some huge changes per se, but again, probably a better news story. So what the government has decided to do on this front is to keep the low and middle income tax offset or, or, or the Lamington offset, as, as some of you might have heard of, for another year. So originally, this was um, put in place as effectively a bit of a transition step into what you might have heard of as the the Stage 3 or the Tier 3 tax cut plans, which were first actually introduced back in 2019. So the Lamington offset was due to end when the Stage 2 tax cuts were scheduled to come in. 
And when those cuts actually got brought forward last year, the government then decided to keep uh, the Leamington for um, another year, essentially, given the economic situation. So I guess some of the problem that we see for the government on the horizon that in, in removing this, it would effectively be seen as a, a tax hike. And so it probably doesn't come as a surprise that, that given the, the state of the world at the moment, the government has chosen to keep that in place. There were a few murmurs around pre-budget as to whether stage three tax cuts would be changed. Um, and those tax cuts uh, predominantly affect high income earners. And they're currently legislated to come into effect from 1 July 2024, but we didn't see any announcements about that in the budget. And so um, that, will, um, that will be something that, that, that sticks to its current timeframe. Jaron, I know that superannuation is probably another kind of key area that people focused on apart from their own um, income tax costs. Um, and the superannuation rules seem like they're changing all the time. And was there much in the budget this year on superannuation? Yeah, I mean, as always, there was a, a few, um, well, I suppose, relatively minor announcements impacting superannuation this year and impacting uh, very specific scenarios. But probably what the, the biggest news um, this year was actually no news. So there's been a bit of talk um, coming up to the budget as to whether there'd be any changes to the superannuation guarantee rate increase. So I think many people would be aware that the um, current legislation has the uh, superannuation contribution rate increasing from 9.5% to 10%, effective from 1 July 2021. Um, and there was a bit of talk as to whether that would potentially get pushed back at all. Uh, but there was no announcement in the budget this year. So uh, we effectively have to work towards the current plan of 1 July 2021. Those rules will be changing um, and the percentage will be going up. So it's important that a lot of the payroll teams are aware of that um, and are ready to make that change because it's only around the corner now. There was also another smaller measure um, that does impact payroll teams as well. Um, and that was the removal of the $450 per month minimum income threshold. So under the current rules, if an individual earned less than $450 per month, then the employer would not be required under law to make superannuation contributions. I think historically that was put in place just to help reduce some of the admin and form filling that would have been required for a lot of the small income scenarios. But given the current sort of digital world we're in and single touch payrolls now the norm, I think it makes sense that that's removed. Um, I think the modelling from the government suggests about 300,000 individuals that will be better off um, as a result of that change. So another good news story there. And I, th I think there was quite a high percentage of that um, was considered to be women as well. So in line with the current government's theme of supporting women this budget, um, that's another example that they've um, put in. Important to note again that similar to a lot of those announcements we've been talking about, they won't come into effect until the start of the income tax year after legislation gets passed. And the government's publicly stated on this one, they don't expect it to happen um, until prior to 1 July 2022. So a little bit of time there for payroll teams to adjust for that change going forwards, which hopefully is just a bit of an update in the system for them to um, get that reflected. Yeah, I'm really interested to, to hear from um, my payroll clients around that change because I know that there were actually some little gremlins in the current existing rules, which made it quite difficult within some payroll systems to actually meet that $450 per month requirement um, and to test for that. And so um, I'm kind of hoping that, that this will be a positive change for payroll 
all teams, um, but I'll be interested to, to hear any feedback from my payroll contacts uh, over the next couple of months about how they anticipate that flowing through. Thanks so much, Jaron, for all of the updates and for keeping us all up to date about what's going on in the budget for, for personal income taxes. Um, I think that's all we really have time for today, but you can find further budget analysis uh, from us on the KPMG Australia website. So if you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email to kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Thank you so much for listening and looking forward to catching up with you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask us a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page, KPMG Tax Now Insights. That's all for now. We look forward to sharing more insights with you soon.